0: The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. We've been in the book of First Peter for some time now, and I feel like we are in the book of First Peter and then doing other things and back in the book of First Peter, and so there's a lot we we kind of miss and we, we... forget along the way. so we'll do a little bit of reminding you of where we've been this evening, but um, I think what's what's funny is when we view our Christian lives, I think sometimes we see them as somewhat mundane. I think sometimes when we look at our lives, we become disillusioned. I know this is something that, that it's very easy to happen to me. I know it happens to people that I love and people that I, that I know that um, we live this life, and just the day-to-day, the drudgery, the difficulty that comes, you sometimes feel like, what's, what's going on? I mean, what is the Lord doing? What are we accomplishing? Are, is this really worth it? No, I mean, when we look at the Word of God, we see these people who are confronted with huge obstacles, and then they have this massive God who does miracles and leads them through it. And then we look at our lives, and it's like, I got to change diapers today, you know, or, I mean, I got to do something that really didn't feel like it had eternal consequences. And we become disillusioned. And on Friday with our teens, we had some music playing. There was a song by down here, and it's called Living the Dream. And the line goes, this is not what I imagined, but this is real. Life in the trenches, and we are living the dream. And that is the truth of the Christian life, that it's just life. In the trenches. It's real. It's difficult. It's not always easy. And then what happens is we have this attitude of what's going on with my life. And then we go to social media and we look on Facebook. And it seems like every person in the world has a much better life than we do. Doesn't it? You know, we look out and we see it's like everybody's always on vacation, right? Or their feet are just so much more beautiful than yours. You can't get the picture right. And they're always eating wonderful food, and, and everybody is just happy, and their lives are perfect, and their kids are perfect, and their husbands are perfect. There's sometimes I, I read posts that people post about their spouses, and I'm like, I know your spouse. It's not true. <laughs> but that's what happens, right? We, we look at our lives, and it's like, this is difficult, this is drudgery. And we look at our people's lives, and like, why does their life seem so perfect? It's so wonderful. Well, what I'm hoping to do tonight is, Peter is going to help us learn how to live the good life. In 1 Peter 3, verses 8 to 12, as the verse we'll be in tonight, Peter's wrapping up a section on how to live the Christian life. And if you summarize what he's been teaching us so far, it would be in one word submission. One word. What do we do in our Christian life? Well, we submit. To our God-ordained government. Why do we do that? Because we're submitting ourselves to our God. Slaves submit themselves to their master. And in our vocabulary, we might say employees submit themselves to their employers. Wives submit themselves to their husbands. Husbands, you submit yourself to your wife and to God by dwelling with them according to knowledge. And leading them sacrificially and loving them. And so what Paul... Peter's doing is Peter's taking all of these lessons and he's kind of tying it all up in a nice little bow so that we know that rather than thinking about every single relationship and how I have to act, here is just some general characteristics that should define the Christian's life and should define how we interact with one another in our relationships. My prayer today is that this passage encourages you to keep on living your life, however mundane it might feel, for the one whose opinion truly matters. We have an audience of one. And so tonight, I hope Peter can encourage us to live for him. First Peter chapter three, we'll begin reading at verse eight. Finally, what Peter means there is not this is the last thing he's gonna say because he's got half of the book left, right? That preachers do that sometimes. In conclusion, ten times. That's not what he's doing. He's saying, in summary or in conclusion of that thought. He says, Be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. Here he gives five adjectives that ought to describe the the Christian life or the life that we live as believers. He says, first of all, we must be of one mind or be unified. And this idea in Scripture comes up all the time. If you were just reading the New Testament, specifically the epistles, the letters in the New Testament, you would be shocked at how often Peter and Paul... And James speak about this issue. Be of one mind. Be unified. But the word here doesn't just mean be like-minded. In other words, it doesn't just mean think the same. The word means, is in the Greek, homophran, which means one feeling. And I thought that was interesting because, yes, it certainly has to do with us being of one mind and thinking alike. But it goes beyond just how we're thinking. The idea here is have the same feeling or feel like one another or know what each other is feeling. And that is really helpful for me. It's not just okay if, if I know what you're thinking and we can think along the same lines and we, we spend our lives and our relationships up here in the academic world. We must take this beyond that where we have each other's feelings in mind. We know what's going on in each other's hearts. Be of one mind. He goes on and he says, be compassionate. The word compassionate here is sympathes, which is where we get our word sympathetic or sympathy. It's having fellow feelings with. See what he's doing? He's saying, be of one mind, feel together, be sympathetic. So, how do Christians interact with one another? Well, one of the things we must do is we must be able to feel what each other is feeling. He goes on. He says, be loving. Love one another as members of a family. This is one of the things that I think our church focuses on and we do very well. This is a church family. And so when we talk to one another, when we treat one another, we don't look at each other as distant people that we don't ever have to see or know. We realize that like a family, when we have struggles, we need to figure these things out. When one person is hurting, we need to hurt with that person and help that person. It's a church family. This isn't something that we just make up to try and make this feel like community here because people like that. This is something that the Bible commands. That's what the church is supposed to be. It's an extended family. Gozani says, be pitiful. And the word there simply means be kind-hearted or tender-hearted. How do we interact with one another? Do we have kind hearts? Do we have tender hearts? Are we looking for the fault or are we looking for how we can help? Be courteous. And this is not speaking about our manners. It's, it's be friendly, kind, and humble in spirit. It'd be meek. And all of these things are adjectives that should describe our relationships with one another. And I've met some people in this church, I've met some believers, that they do seem to fit this well. They, they seem to be able to live out these characteristics in their lives. And it is just an amazing thing when they do. I can guarantee if you've met someone like this, then as soon as I say "be of one mind, compassionate, loving, tender-hearted, humble," when you say those attributes, somebody comes to your mind. And when you think about your time with that person, when you think about what they're like and and how you like being with them, just good thoughts. You just love being with them. They're so encouraging. They're so um. They feel like they care about you. They actually care. They want to know about you. They want to help. They want to encourage. They don't intimidate you. They don't make you feel threatened. They're not showing off. They're just interested in listening. They're not picking fights. They're not trying to impress. These are wonderful people. And this is godliness. We know this is godliness because it is not normal humanity. This is not how we're hardwired. Our flesh takes us in different directions. We are not automatically going to be of one mind automatically we are going to want our opinion first. We want to be us first. We're not going to automatically be sympathetic. Automatically we think of ourselves and ourselves alone. And it takes some work and some effort and and some of the Holy Spirit working in us for us to learn to feel with other people. We're not always going to be loving because we love ourselves first. We're not always going to be kind or tender-hearted because our hearts are hard. We're not always going to be humble. Why? Because we're proud people. And so if we want to seek to, to be godly, to be more like Christ, these are some of the attributes, these, these are the adjectives that need to begin to describe our lives. This is what we're working toward. But Peter's not done yet. Okay, those are some adjectives that, that should positively describe your life. Here are some things that you should not do in your life. Verse 9, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrariwise blessing, knowing that they're unto... You were called that you should inherit a blessing. Your actions and your reactions cannot be controlled by others. When somebody acts evil in an evil way toward you, we don't let that action control us. This is it is wonderful having kids because you get to see this playing out and, and it really helps you begin to understand your own heart better because they'll actually voice what's going on in your own heart. When you're with your kids, it's like, why did you do this? Well, it's because they did this to me, right? And, and we're adults. We would know, like, I can't just say because he did it first, but they do. But that is exactly how our heart responds, right? As soon as somebody does something negatively toward me, my first thought is, how can I get them back? And I'm not likely going to keep it at the same scale as they did, right? I'm going to go bigger and badder because i got to win, if somebody says something mean about me, <laughs> you don't want to know the things that go on in my head. That is really how, And I, 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 maybe I am just super evil, but I, I really don't think so. I think, well, I do think so. I, I think we're all super evil. I think that you can, if you're honest with yourself, understand what I'm going through in my mind as I read these verses and think, I'm not going to evil." evil. Yes, I am. That's what I want to do. Railing for railing. That's insult for insult. Instead of doing that, what do we do? We bless them. And I think the blessing here is we show them the way of truth. We show them the way of Christ. We show them love that's unmerited. We show them the gospel. That's how we, we render blessing to those who show us evil and to insult us. In Romans chapter 12, verse 14, Paul writes, Bless them. Which persecute you bless and curse not and that sounds a lot like the words of Christ in Matthew 5:44 where he says but I say unto you love your enemies bless them that curse you do good to them that hate you pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you that you may be children of your father which is in heaven those are hard words that is what Christ demands of his children if we want to be acting like children of our Father, then we act like our Father. And then he goes on in that verse, and he, he ends by saying, knowing that ye are thereunto called. You should know that this is what you're called to, this is what you're commanded to, and that you should inherit a blessing, that when we live that way, it ultimately ends up in our good. That God's calling on us isn't, I expect you to go against all your natural inclinations and forever just struggle. And forever not be able to, to get justice. No, what he says is, you do what I've commanded you to do and that will end in a blessing for you. We serve a just God. We serve a God of justice. And so we don't have to be justice police all the time. We don't have to make sure everybody gets what's due to them. That's not our job. That's our father's job. And so we can live this life, and when people insult us, just go, God, it's in your hands. I'm not going to act that way. When they do evil, we say, you know what? I'm going to turn the other cheek. That's what Christ was talking about. So with that said, Peter now spends the next three verses quoting the Old Testament. He quotes one of the greatest psalms in the Old Testament, Psalm number 34. And what he's doing here is he's using scripture to enforce the importance of obedience. To prove his point. This is what what we do as preachers all the time. So it's nice that he's doing it too. He says in verse 10, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they may speak no guile. He begins and says, you want to have a good life? You want to see good days? You want things to go well for you? What do you do? Well, you just act on all your natural inclinations. You get people back. The funny thing is, every single time we act that way, every time we rend evil for evil, every time we don't show compassion, every time we love ourselves instead of other people, we always think that it's going to turn out better for us. We think that we're being helpful for ourselves, right? Like That's why we do these things. That We love ourselves, and and so we want what's best for ourselves. We want to do what we want to do. And what God says here to us, through David in Psalm 34 and in 1 Peter, is that if you want to love life and you want to see good days, you will refrain your tongue from evil and his lips shall speak no guile. Verse 11, Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And so we change how we speak. We change how we react. And we change our behavior. And we eschew evil. And we run from it. And we run from temptation. We seek peace. We follow the way of peace. Because we know that God is watching us. I want to read you Psalm chapter 34 because the Psalm, verses 11 to 19, they, they they just expand on what Peter has just said here. And so we'll read Psalm 34 and then we'll look at some applications this evening. Uh, David wrote this and it's a Psalm that's just wonderful for any of you who ever going are going through difficulty. If you, if you want to know a Psalm to turn to, remember Psalm 34. So David is going through a very difficult time and he's looking to God for strength. In verse 11 he says, Come ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is that he desireth life and loveth many days that he may seek good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears open to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. To cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saves such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. That is a lot of truth there. That would be so helpful for our lives if, if we would live like God was there. And like we believed that he was going to help us through difficult times. And that we could trust him no matter what we're going through. And so Peter here gives us the secret that the whole world is after. How do we love life and see good days? How do we make our lives worthwhile? How do we move from this, oh, it's just so mundane and it's boring. And it's to like, my life is good because God is there and he's doing things. And how do we go there? How do we learn to watch what we say and to do right and to run from evil and to seek peace? How do we learn not to repay evil for evil or insult for insult? How do we learn to be of one mind, to be sympathetic, to be loving, to be kind-hearted, and to be humble? I went through the exercise this week of trying to see how I measured up to Peter's standard here. And I'm warning you. This is a hard thing to do. I'm warning you that if you do it, you might not be happy with the results. Uh, and I, But I do think it's very helpful for us to, on a regular basis, assess ourselves and to see how we're doing. And so what I did is, is I thought, you know what, I'll go through each of these attributes and I'll give myself a rating out of 10 to see how I did. And um, I think clearly here, Peter knew my struggles and so he thought he'd put them on a page and have me preach about it. And, and when I went through, I thought, you know, be of one mind. When I, first thought, when I first read that, I thought, you know, I, I, yeah, okay, I can, I can think like the rest of our church. Thing. I think we're all trying to be biblical. And so I would say I, I got a good 8 out of 10 for that. And then I, then I looked into it further, and I thought, no, it also means that we're supposed to feel with one another. And I was like, ooh, cut that in half probably. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not so good at that. Um, I'm working on that. And then, said, then the next one was be sympathetic. And I, I did a, uh, a showing mercy gift. Have you ever done a spiritual gift test? And you do the test and at the end it tells you which, which gifts you're supposed to be better at. And, and the problem is, as you go through it, you kind of know where they're directing you. And so you can, you can be whatever you want to be. But if you answer questions honestly, they'll help you understand where your strengths are. If you ask your, your spouse or your friend or your mom or dad, they'll probably be able to tell you what you're good at as well. But when I did when I do these tests, I get like eight out of a hundred when it comes to showing mercy. So I know I'm really bad at this, all right. And I'm I'm glad that we have people in our church that are much better than me, so I can do other things. Um, listen, I, I I know that there are some things. I'm not trying to have a pity party here. I know there are some things that I'm good at. I, I know that there are some things that I I can do well in areas that God has gifted me and 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 graces that I've seen in my life where he didn't leave, I, didn't, I didn't go into some certain sin and I don't have that addiction. And I'm, and I'm grateful for those things. But I also know that there are some huge glaring weaknesses in my life and they're on display in this text. And this is one of them. Being sympathetic for people, I, I want to be and I try to be, but I just can't seem to do it like Pastor Ken. I watch how he's able to deal with people and I, and, and I see him and I'm like, he just feels with them. And and I try and do that, and I'm like, oh, I'm, like I know it's it's hard and it's awful and it's difficult, and maybe it's because he, he talks about he's gone through a lot of difficulty. I, I haven't had a, a, a ton of pain in my life, and so I haven't been able to to learn to comfort those with the comfort God gave me. But when I think about this attribute, it's like, man, I got to learn to be more sympathetic. The next one is to be loving, and that was that was a little bit better because I, I really do try and. Sacrificially love people when I'm given the opportunity. So I thought maybe six out of ten was fair. And to be kind-hearted, maybe five out of ten. Um, to be humble, <laughs> when you get when you get a question like humble, you can't even give a rating. If you go too low, it looks like you're you're trying to be like super humble. <laughs> Whoa, you're awesome. You're a one. But then if you say you're like an eight, then it's like, oh yeah, right. The guy's so proud he thinks he's humble. And so I'm just gonna pass on the number there. Um, are you trying to give me a number (laughs) so we go on and we send it okay when somebody insults me yeah I want to insult them back every once in a while I I have the wisdom not to but I'm sure that that, that's my first inclination still although I'm working on it Um, if you're evil toward me I'm sure I would hatch a plan to destroy you (laughs) but some of the time I would figure out that I shouldn't do that do I watch what I say? Yeah, okay, some of the time, a lot of the time. When I'm tired, I do poorly at that. Um, do I avoid evil? Do I do good? Do I seek peace? Now, All those things. like Am I actively searching for those in my life? Not just like, how am I sitting? Is my life pretty good? If people to look at me, would they think well of me? Am I actually seeking to follow peace and seeking to do good and trying to find the temptation and the evil in my life and running from that? Is this an active pursuit? And I was convicted. And I am also convinced that the solution for me is not just trying harder. It's not just figuring out how to put more effort in and digging deeper. Because what happens is I try harder and I dig deeper and I dig deeper. And I find out that there's just there's nothing, no deeper to dig. I've got nothing in me. I've got no power to do this on my own. So we watch other people, we try and emulate them, and that that can help. That's a good thing to try and do, but ultimately that won't do it either. I'm convinced that unless we have the power of God working in us, there is no way for us to be these things. There is no way any of us can do this. Even if we take this fruit and we staple it to our lives, eventually people will see it for what it is, fraudulent fruit. It's not real. It just withers. I'm convinced that by the power of God, I can do better and so can you. And I think Peter tells us three things that might help us. Three things here at the end of verse number 12. So the first one is this. He says, God is watching you. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. Recognize in your life that God is watching you. And hopefully, as you do this, it will help you find the strength. It will help give you the power to overcome that sin and to respond differently and to act differently. Do you realize that, the, that a person's presence in our life and recognizing that presence makes a substantial difference in our lives? I was coaching Avery. I've coached Avery and Miles so far in soccer. And it's amazing how they'll be playing and trying hard, but as soon as their mom shows up or their aunt shows up or their grandma shows up, all of a sudden they just have this this different level of intensity where they're going to get that ball and they're going to get it down the field and they're going to try as hard as they can. Why? Because somebody's there watching. Because they sense that presence there and they want to do well for that person. If you're at work, it's amazing how suddenly employees who could find nothing to do all day long are so swamped and busy when the boss shows up. Somebody's presence makes a big difference. When you are hurt or you're sick and mom's there, it makes a big difference. still makes a big difference for me. I like when my mom's there. Or my grandma. She works too. When you're at the hospital and you have doctors and nurses that you don't know and and then all of a sudden the doctor that you know, your doctor, arrives and is just there for you, even though you know that those other people, they've been trained, just having that person that you know there is helpful, helpful. When you're suffering and you have a friend, it makes a world of difference. Imagine how our lives would change if we believed these words. I will never leave you nor forsake thee. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Lo, I am with you always even unto the end of the world. What if we said like David, thou art with me. Whether I'm going through the valley or I'm drinking at the stream, thou art with me. You realize that at this moment, he's with us. When we leave this place, he is with us. When we feel alone, or when we're weak, or when we're struggling, or when we're doubting, or when we're in pain, or suffering, or sorrow, He is with us. When we want to give up, He is there. God is watching. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward Him. God is there. And He's watching and He's looking for an opportunity to show Himself strong on our behalf. He is not just a passive observer. He's not just like a fan at a game cheering for his team, but unable to help in any other way. God is watching, but number two, God is working. Peter goes on to say, "His ears are open unto their prayers." You know what he's saying there, he's saying he listens and answers our prayers. God can, can be watching, but what a wonderful thing is that he's waiting for us to call out to him and to look to him and to ask for help because when we do that, he answers and he responds and he helps and he works on our behalf. He stands at the sidelines ready and willing to provide help in our time of need. When his children calls, he hears them. Over the past few weeks, we've had many people at our church um, going through a lot of pain. And I've been able to um, witness that, not not always firsthand, but just, just to see them and see how they've gone through it and talk to them. And I've seen them go through the loss of loved ones and unwelcome news from a doctor or pain that's coming back and that they don't know the answer to. Um, I've seen them go through suffering. And what I'm amazed at is the number of people that say things like, it's the prayers of God's people that keep me going. God is giving me strength. I always wonder how people make it through. How do they they go through that kind of pain? And and not only go through it, but how do they go through it and be able to, to cling to God? Knowing that at any moment he could take it away, but knowing that he's brought it there in their lives for their good and his glory. And yet they do. And I'm convinced this is why. Because when we... When we call out to God, when we pray, and and when we as God's people pray for folks in our church, he answers. When we are battling against sin, he is there. And not only is he watching, he is ready to help us. We tend to try and just dig deep within ourselves. But what we need to do is cry out to God for help. We should pray and ask God to help us Ask God to show us the way of escape, to remind us what is at stake, to to bring truth and scripture to our minds, to remind us of the cross and what Christ has done for us and and how our Savior died for those sins. When Spencer gets in trouble, it's very interesting to see his reaction. Because Spencer often reacts, he's very sorry in a sense, he thinks that he really just couldn't control himself, that he didn't have that ability. And what he always does is he said it's because of those two people. What two people? You know, the people that ate the apple. It's their fault. <laughs> well, I mean, we've tried to teach them that that through Adam and Eve, we have a sin nature, and, and so we battle sin. and. Um, and, and that we have that working inside of us. But we've also tried to teach them that, that the Holy Spirit can help us. And that we have a God who died to save us and, and all those things. And sometimes, though we would never admit it, we have Spencer's attitude. Where it's like, I am just resigned to this sin forever. It's because of those people. It's because of my sin nature. I can't be, be or do better than this. And rather than crying out to God for help, we either run away from him and bury ourselves full speed into our sin. Or we think, I'm going to pull myself up and I'm going to fight this thing. And then we fall down and then we get up and we fight and we fall down and we get up and we fight. In either way, we're never turning to God for help. We're never recognizing that we don't have the power, that Spencer is right. There is nothing good within us, but that we have a God who is... Whose eyes are looking through the whole earth, just waiting to show himself strong on our behalf. Waiting to help us and to to give us power to overcome the sin. In Romans chapter 7, Paul is expressing his frustration with his own inner struggle. That he wants to do good things, but he can't do them. And then he, he doesn't want to do bad things, but he finds himself doing them. And the whole question is, what am I going to do? And so in verse 24, he says, O wretched man that I am! Who shall deliver me from this body of this death? And verse 25 says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the answer. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, we can be delivered from this bondage of sin. So when we struggle, reach out to him. I don't care if you've been struggling with the same thing for years. This week, reach out to him. Every time you think that thought, every time you want to do that thing, every time you find yourself being bitter or gossiping or whatever it is, ask God to help you overcome that sin. Maybe with his power we can overcome it. And so we must understand God is watching us and God is working in our lives, but finally we find that God is warning us. God is warning us. Peter finishes verse 12 and he says, The face of the Lord is against us. Them that do evil. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil. The the term do evil here is very vague. I think it's just, it's all encompassing. When, When we're walking away from the Lord's will and away from what God wants us to do, we should recognize that we have an all powerful, all knowing God who knows every thought, who knows every action, who knows every time our eyes blink. And He's watching us. And when we do evil and when we run away from him, it says the, his face is against us. I think we often do evil because we think the reward is worth it. We don't do good because we think that doing good would be too costly, that it's too much work, that we can find an easier path. And these verses are reminding us, are telling us, that there. It's never an easier pass when you're going through God. When you're you're standing ready to be judged by an all-powerful God. And so when we're tempted to say, I don't care that God is watching, I don't care that he's working, I'm just going to do my thing. Just remember, God is also warning you. He's saying that his face is against you. Now, we should understand this truth within the whole truth of the gospel. That God sent his son to die for us. That he loves sinners. That he died for sinners. And because Christ died for us, though we were in our sin and are powerless to get out of it, he can bring us out of it. That our sin was put on the cross. And so we can have victory over, over the grave. However, as God's children sin against him and live a life of sin, we walk away from him. Do you know what James says? James says if we want to get close to God, then we need to cleanse our hands and purify our hearts. And when we do that, when we step toward him, he steps toward us. Do you know what John says? He says when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, we still affect our relationship with God. We still affect our closeness with God by how we sin. And so the gospel has assured us of one thing. It has assured us that our standing before God is that we stand before him at the end of our lives as righteous. That when he looks at us now, we will never be more righteous in his sight than we are now. But at the same time, as Christians, we can ruin this this relationship with him when we sin, when we walk away from him, when we do evil. And we should realize that when we do that, as a loving father punishes his children so will our loving Father punish us. His face will be turned against us. Hebrews 11 tells us that if we're not punished by God, we've got to be a reason reason to be worried about our eternal security, whether we're even his child. And so there is a warning here for us. God's call for us tonight is simply to be Christ-like. When we look back at 1 Peter in chapter 2, We saw Christ's example for us. It said, Who, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. In other words, when he was insulted and beaten, when they mocked him, he didn't return in kind. When he suffered, he threatened not, but he committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. This is what Christ did. Rather than reacting because of people around him, rather than being like the evil that was being done to him, He said, I am going to look to God and I'm going to do what pleases him. I'm going to commit myself to the God who judges righteously. And that's what we're we're being called to do. We're being called to to have faith, really. Do you believe that living God's way is better than your own? Because if you do, then this is it. And it's sometimes not going to make sense. And sometimes you're just going to want to react. We can't let ourselves do that. Hebrews 11, verse 6 says, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is. You've got to believe that he's there. But not only that, that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We must believe that it's better to live God's way than our way. We must believe that he will reward obedience. That there will be a blessing, as Peter promises here. And we must believe that his face will be against us when we... Disobey. We'll close with this quote by A. W. Tozer. I just wanna I just wanna plead with you. We should live as though God is there. We should live our lives as though we're living them in the presence of, of our Savior. That the one who died on the cross for our sins is with us every day, because the truth is he is. A.W. Tozer said, Why do some persons find God in a way that others do not? Why does God manifest his presence to some and that multitudes of others struggle along in the half-light of imperfect Christian experience? Would you say that that describes a huge percentage of Christianity? It's, it is... The half light of imperfect Christian experience. Of course, the will of God is the same for all. He has no favorites within his household. All he has ever done for any of his children, he will do for all of his children. In other words, those people that you see that you're like, they just live like Christ, and it's wonderful to be around them, and they actually do those adjectives that we talked about that that's possible for you. That you're not an anomaly. That they're not an anomaly. That they're not one of the select few. That that can be you. All he has ever done for any of his children, he will do for all of his children. The difference lies not with God, but with us. And so may we leave this place and desire to walk closer with God, and desire to recognize his presence, and to understand that he's watching us, And he's working in our lives. And he's warning us if we choose to stray. Let's pray.